Hey, this is Nathan James from Inglorious, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, giving you another dose of Focus on Metal. Holy crap, it's been a couple weeks, but uh, yeah, we're still alive, still doing this thing. It uh, definitely is damn convenient with uh, dropping out of all the syndication deals and kind of just being able to make your own timeline. The day you put it out, the week you put it out, all of that. And so Richie and I have definitely been taking advantage of that. A lot of shit going on and, uh, you know, like I said... Again, taking advantage and uh, not doing the whole weekly thing. But yeah, we are still here, still giving you great audio content. And this week is the start of a multi-week special little mini project on the self-titled Lynch Mob album. That's right. Talking about the album that was released back in uh, April of 1992, Produced by Keith Olsen and, uh, you know, personnel being, of course, George Lynch on guitar, Anthony Esposito on the bass, Wild Mick Brown on drums, and new to the band, Robert Mason on vocals. And I uh, got yeah, a few other little people in there, including uh, a little guy called Glenn Hughes did some background vocals on this baby. And uh, we'll hear a little bit of that this week as we talk to our, our guest, Anthony Esposito. And then we'll get into it even more as we continue on with the next episode on this when we talk to uh, Robert Mason, who obviously will have much more to say about what Glenn did and interaction and all that good shit. But this week, like I said, we have on Anthony Esposito, not his first time on Focus on Metal. We've actually had him on before. We had Anthony on back in episode 403 back in 2018 talking about uh, Red Dragon Cartel. And then back a few years ago, we celebrated the 30th anniversary of Wicked Sensation. And we had Anthony on episode 479 talking about that one. And if you want to be completist on that one, on episode 480, which was part two of that 30th anniversary Wicked Sensation special, we talked with producer Max Norman. But this week, as I said, we are talking to Anthony all about the self-titled second album from Lynch Mob. So as I said, this one rolled out on April 28th of 1992. I was actually able to catch this tour. I saw them August 3rd of 92 at a club called Axis on Lansdowne Street in Boston. And they did, you know, great stuff. River of Love, Wicked Sensation, I Want It, Cold is the Heart, She's Evil But She's Mine, Dance of the Dog, Jungle of Love, The Secret, All I Want, No Good, Dream Until Tomorrow, Tangled in the Web, Street Fighting Man, George does his guitar solo, and then they uh, do the encore stuff with uh, Mr. Scary, and then uh, Tie Your Mother Down. And we had, that uh, was uh, Love, Sex, Death that opened. They were a pretty cool band, too, and uh, I remember the crowds, you know, lying down Lansdowne Street, waiting to get into Axis, and the singer for LSD is out there, and if you're familiar at all with LSD, you know, this guy looked like he was a homeless guy, and he was just kind of going up and down, and pretty much nobody in the crowd even knew that he was actually the singer for the opening band, 
until said homeless guy hit the stage. So great show. You know, the whole band was dead on. It was awesome to see George in uh, a relatively small club in Boston on this tour. And uh, before they went on as well, he was kind of holding court in one of the back rooms as well. So there were a chunk of us that were back there before the show as well. But again, you know, great show. And, uh, you know, pretty soon after this album came out. So I've already taken up five minutes of your precious metal time jabbering on. So what do you say? I turn it over to uh, to Richie and Anthony Esposito. Just got to say that the audio, try to clean it up as much as possible. But again, it's one of these things where Anthony, he's kind of out in the middle of nowhere and signals kind of crappy. So we had some drop offs and some restarts. And there's some times when it gets staticky and a little shitty. But uh, nonetheless, all good conversation, all worth bringing to you. So with that uh, little caveat, Let's get into it. Hey, Anthony. Hey, Richie. How you doing, man? I'm all right. I'm okay. You want to do this or you got to do something else? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I, I just, it's more on your end. Are you okay now to do it? You might have been busy doing something else. You know what it is? I have this old fucking like hot rod beater of a pickup truck, an old Chevy from the mid And I've just been fighting this motor. I just had the engine rebuilt. And I just got it back yesterday, and I was all like, I drive it to the supermarket, and there's oil shooting out everywhere. <laughs> so I was actually at my mechanics. I'm home now. I could definitely do it now. Okay. So let, let's start with, uh, what are you up to now musically? What's that? What, what are you doing now musically? Like, what, what bands musically, are you producing? Musically, it's, or? it's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's like 99% producing. Um... A lot of bands come to me and I produce them and stuff. I ended up, uh, uh, one of the bands that I was producing, the War Brothers, I ended up uh, producing and engineering and now I'm managing it. And we're probably going to self-release the EP, you know, start our own label and just throw it out there. Um, they're good. They're four brothers, two sets of twins, two years apart. They're in like their late 20s. And they sound like old school Motley meets old school Van Halen. And uh, it's a great band. And the guitar player smokes, smokes like killer. Nice. Um, anything happening with Red Dragon Cartel? Well, Jake, um, Jake has the carpal tunnel syndrome on his right wrist. So we're down for a while until he, uh, until he kind of, you know, works that out. We're, we're, we're in a holding pattern, you know? Okay. Okay. So, so let's get into the, uh, let's get into the Lynch Mob album, the self-titled one, the second one. We kind of call that one the Keith Olsen record. Yeah. Well, I have some quotes that I got when I interviewed Keith and I'm, I'm going to go through, go through them with you later in the interview. So, uh, first question I have was what had to change for Oni Logan to stay in the band? What, what, what did you say? What was the change? What had to change for him to stay in the band? Well, I mean, it was basically, to quote George, I mean, you know, we were out with, like, opening for the Keith Burton and Justin, blah, 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 you know, like, a grade A excellent singer for men, you know? And um, uh, George wasn't happy with Oni's live performance, and he basically said, I'm not going to wait for the singer to learn how to sing. And that's why he hired him. Okay. 
So, so which one have you fought the hardest to keep him in the band? You, did you or Mick want to keep him? Um, I think Mick was pretty quiet. Um, I mean, Mick draw and uh, you know, pretty much went along with whatever George said. You know, mm. Mick was pretty, pretty. You know, I mean, they had so much history from the boys to talk it and so. I mean, it, you know, they have so much history that I think. Mick was just like, all right, it's George's call, you know, but I was kind of like, you know, I, I, I always said that it, this is the things that make bands bands. And if we go through this and, and, and get him like whatever kind of help he needs vocally to, 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 to deliver, we'll come out of the tunnel on the other end as a band, you know, we'll be, we'll be even closer as, as, as a unit, you know, but he was, pretty, um, we did show in the Pasadena Theater. It was on like a Friday night live in concert thing and we did three songs and, and only only was told before that gig that he was fired. And um and he still performed that show, you know, that, that live show. Okay. Anthony, can I call you back? The line here is kind of breaking up. Sure, we could try we could try. Okay. <laughs> right. Give me give me uh, one give me ten seconds, I'll call you back. Sure. Okay? All right. Uh, certainly. Bye. Bring out your day. Better now. Yeah, is that better? Yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem. I could always hear you. Okay, yeah, you just kept breaking up on... Um, so, so the next... If the it ne happens again, I'll go outside. All right. So the next question I have is, uh, what was management's attitude during all of this with only getting fired? Did well, that was, that was the other thing. We switched management at the same time. Um, we were managed by Freddie Mann. Um, who did Madonna, obviously, and my, I mean, he was like associated with Michael Jackson and, and Billy Idol and stuff. And, um, you know, Freddie's, Freddie's like stick that he got stuck with was that he couldn't break a rock band. And, um, you know, we didn't know, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing when you do a record wicked and it doesn't really doesn't even go gold. Um, and, Nick, we used to platinum success with doctors. So um, I think, you know, George really in his mind to switch management and wanted to go with HK because they had whites and the bubbles and poison. I mean, HK's roster was insane. So we didn't to switch at the same time. So it wasn't really like the new management could say anything about us switching singers, you know. Okay. Anthony, I think you're going to have to go outside. Okay, I'll do that. Hang All on. Right. Give me give me two secs. I'm yeah, I'll stay out on the now. line. I'm almost out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the ranch is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So it's kinda it's kinda like reception is hit or miss. But I'll go outside. You tell me when you can hear okay. me. Is it better now? Yeah, it seems to be better, yeah. Okay, I'm outside, so All that's right. good. Excellent. Uh so what singers were on the wish list to replace Oni? Well, we tried a bunch. I remember Jeff Scott Soto came out, and we had a bunch of dudes. And then Robert just Robert just came out, and he just he was perfect, you know. Like we literally started writing songs during his audition, you know. Like it was just a a a, a, a fit immediately, and and we kind of wanted to see. We were kind of a little gun shy. George was because of uh, Oni's live performance, so we booked this run. And we tried to kill Robert, literally. Like, it was like 13 shows in 14 days. We went up and down the West Coast. 
we were trying to try his voice out live and we couldn't he he kept getting stronger and stronger every show and so we were like okay he's definitely the guy and and that's when we we started writing the second record yeah did the label want a named singer someone with a, a reputation that people would know i didn't hear that i didn't i didn't wasn't privy to it you know like uh if they did i wasn't aware of it okay um what did robert sing in the audition um well i'm I'm pretty sure we did a couple songs off wicked and then i remember we did this uh heaven is waiting was like a song we were kicking around and he sort of sang it and and we came up with melody during during the audition kind of thing you know yeah, were you happy that it was another young guy in the band? Because like Mick and George, I was happy it was an. E- I was happy it was a guy from the East Coast. To tell you the <laughs> truth, you know, <laughs> um, I, Robin and I hit it off. You know, we 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 always have. We we still remain friends and uh, love him to death. He's a stand up, straight up guy, you know, and uh, you know he's great. I mean, you know, he just he delivered. He he did everything that we wanted. We wanted him to do, you know. Mm. Now you said in the beginning there that it was George that fired Oni. Um, yeah, it's kind of like Oni says that he quit, and George. I don't. I remember. I remember George throwing a punch at him in the back of the bus, and it was real ugly. And and uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's thirty years ago. Yeah. Uh, I think Oni's story is one thing, and and I, I sort of thought that George fired him, but uh, Oni seems to say that that he quit. So I don't. I don't know what the deal is. Um, because the first time I interviewed you, you were telling me that the band was sold as being an e- a band of equals. Yes. Um, and yet here you're telling me is that George fired him. So was George the leader of the band? Yeah, of course. It's his name on the band. I mean, it's called Lynch Mob. Yeah. I mean, we all we all had our our we all had our input. Like we we all had our 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 uh, lanes, so to speak, that we specialized in. You know, and it was like uh, you know, but but George. I mean, it's George Lynch. It's his band. It's not you know like. he's a guitar hero, you know, it's like, he's going to call the shots, you know, if the band broke up and he would go out and get a deal immediately where I don't think any one of us could, you know? Yeah. Um, was there, when you started working on the second record and writing the songs, did you personally want to work with Max Norman again? I, I loved Max Norman. Um, I kind of trusted George with that like we took a bunch of interviews with a bunch of different producers and um, I think like George wanted Keith because of his success with Whitesnake I think the Whitesnake records were the things that um, really made George want to go with him but um, I I loved Max and I, I, I was young I mean I was probably when we were interviewing producers I was probably 23 24 years old and, um, I mean, I had two guys in the band that were doing it, you know, when I was in high school, they were playing stadiums. So, um, I really, I really didn't have too much say as far as it goes. Like, I mean, every once in a while, George and I would talk about it, but, um, I think he wanted a change because Wicked didn't sell so much. And I think that he really wanted 
more sales, you know, like, and I think that Keith had that kind of track record of delivering big hits, you know. Mm. Now, George and Mick had both worked with Neil Kern and Michael yeah. Wagner. Were their names brought up? Uh, no, because Neil ba- Neil kind of left us in the middle of Wicked, so that never came up. Yeah, and and Michael Wagner, I don't think he came up. It was like Richie Zito who did Heart and stuff, and uh, there are a bunch of guys. I mean, we went, we went, but like it was basically like HK producers that had a relationship with our new management company and uh keith had a great relationship with hk and and uh i'm glad i i I think keith did a good record um i think that we would have made a completely different record if max did it um and i don't know if it would have been better or worse it just would have been different and it would have been different just because we had a new singer, it's going to be different, you know? Mm. What sort of relationship did you have with the new management? Oh, I I got along great with, I mean, I I really didn't hang out with Howard too much, but I did I did have my, my occasional meetings with him. And uh, his son, Brett, was more like our day-to-day guy. And he would travel with us. And I had a great relationship, still have a great relationship with Brett. And uh, it was sort of like, you know, Brett would be there and he would be with us on the road and, and watch over everything. And then uh, and then Howard would make the big decisions when, when things came, pushed come to shove. And uh, I had I had a great relationship with, with all the people in the office. And uh, I still have relationships with a lot of them. And some of them I even consider as close as family, you know. Okay. Um, were there any songs for the second album written for Wicked Sensation and were left off that album? No, not really. Uh, Wicked, we kind of like, we kind of nailed, nailed down those, those 10 or 12 or whatever it was pretty quickly and then we focused on that. We really didn't write that much after we got our 10 to 12 that we were happy with. Okay. And when you started writing for the second album, is there anything in particular from the writing sessions that, that you know, that were were done differently to the way you wrote Wicked? No, I mean, I remember sitting out by the pool with Robert at the Scottsdale Princess Hotel writing lyrics, you know, like, I I mean, Keith came out, Keith came out and, uh, you know, did pre-production with us out in in Arizona, and I I remember writing lyrics with Robert a lot, and and, and Mick, and uh, out by the pool with lots of cocktails, but, um, no, I mean, we had a pretty... Lynch Mob worked. I mean, we were rehearsing five, six nights a week for multiple hours, so nothing really changed. Uh, we always had a good work ethic, you know. Yeah. Did the song ideas always start with George, or did it? Come yeah. From I mean, yeah, they always come from George. I mean, it's pretty much it all starts with the guitar lick. It's that kind of music. Yeah. And when you got a special guitar player like George, you know that's going to be the biggest element in the equation is going to be that lick and, and built from there. And then it was like, you know, um, the lyrics were Robert, me and, and, and Nick, we all chipped in on the lyrics and the melodies and stuff. And then, uh, Keith, Keith had a lot to do with, uh, the orchestration and like, like, um, at the end of the ballad, all the strings and stuff, that's all Keith and the horn section entangled in the web. That's all Keith. And uh, Keith had a great uh, view on songs, on making songs, you know, you know, flow and, and adding little special moments to them, you know. Mm. Um, 
tell me about recording the record because I, I remember you telling me before that you were, you were able to do this your bass parts really quickly compared to <laughs> yeah well I mean you know uh, I wasn't I had I had gone through the process once already and um, I'd like to think that um, you know we got better um, because Wicked had all these background vocals on it that you know Dave King did and all these like high things that we couldn't do and all these percussion tracks when we played live on the Wicked tour we played to a click track and had all the stuff that we couldn't do live um, on tape and um, and Mick so Mick would play to a click all the whole tour and then when we got around to the chorus that vocal would be there that you know we would we would be live and we'd be singing our parts, but I mean, Wicked has so many harmonies on it that, you know, Mick and I were the only ones singing backup. So how are we going to do a four part harmony with two guys? Mm. So, um, actually on, when we did tour on the second record, we wanted more of that live feel where we could go off on solos and stuff and not be tied to a click. So we hired a guy to come out and play keyboards and sing backups um, we got away from the dat machine, but at the end of the Wicked tour, Mick had been so used to playing to a click every night that when we went to cut the second record, Keith had this thing called a Russian dragon, and the Russian dragon, he was basically using it as a torture tool to torture drummers, so he would put the click track in on one input, and then he would put the snare drum in on another one, and the lights, the LED, if you were down the middle, you would be dead on the click track. If you were Russian, it would go to the right. And if you were Dragon, it would go to the left. So Mick was playing for, with a click track for like two years when we were on tour with, with for Wicked that when we went in the studio, they thought the Russian Dragon was broke because he was so on, the, <laughs> the light wasn't moving. So, and we did pre-production in Arizona. Like we knew the songs, like, Mick and I knew the songs before we went we went to LA to Goodnight LA to record them. So it was like I think Nick took like a week and a half to do the drum tracks and then I took like a day and a half to do bass, you know. Mm. Um your your tone on that, your sound on the album, was that more working with Keith or working with Shay? Well, Shay was, I mean, Shay was Keith's, you know, right hand. Shay yeah. was at, at the console. Keith would be more of the overview. And, uh, like, I really didn't hear Keith, like, oh, the snare's not bright enough. He, he never said stuff like that. He would be more of the overview of the whole song, you know, how the song conceptually was working and how the, the sounds were working together. And But Shay was the one that was, like, the, the meat and potatoes numbers you know, nitty gritty guy, you know? Yeah, because the only reason I'm asking you that, Anthony, is over the years I've spoken to numerous musicians who, who've told me that the engineer is the guy that's there all the time and the producer mightn't be. He might just come in and out. Yeah, um, I think it depends on the on the uh, the producer. I mean, Max was there every minute that we recorded Wicked. <laughs> yeah. he, never, he never left. And, and Keith... I mean, I wasn't there when they did vocals and guitars. Um, but when we did bass and drums, Keith was always there. Okay. Any particular reason why you didn't hang around to see the vocals and the guitars? You just, you didn't want to? Um, you know, that's 
George world. And yeah. I really don't think I'm going to have anything to say to George Lynch about his guitar tone or his parts. I mean, you know, you're talking about George Lynch. Like, you know, he does what he does. He's special at what he does. And, you know, nobody's going to tell him what to do, you know. Mm. Um, and Robert, it was like I, we had total faith in Keith and working with Robert. And I knew Robert had tools like Robert could sing. And uh, and they brought in Glenn. You know, Glenn was there too, you know. Yeah. So it was like, I mean, well, I'm going to tell Glenn Hughes and Keith Olsen like how the vocals should be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't that I didn't, you know, I, I loved Shay. I loved Keith. Oh my God. I, I kept, I kept in contact with Keith until he passed away. And, um, and, and you know, we had a great experience making that record. I heard that when George was doing his tracks, um, the fun kind of got sucked out of it. But um, I know that when Mick and I were there, it was definitely fun and party. And, and I was hung over when I did all the bass tracks. I mean, I was running <laughs> to the bathroom in between, in between takes. I was like in the bathroom, like, uh, you know, and, uh, and I had done it, you know, uh, Keith being a bass player, he was in um, a band called music machine. Um, and they had a hit single called talk, talk. And uh, he was the bassist. And he wanted to gift me this Hofner Beetle bass that McCartney had given him. And um, at McCartney and Alan Parsons gave him this bass. And I was like, Keith, there's no fucking way in hell I'm taking your bass. Like, and he was like, no, I, I had a great experience. You're, you're, he gave me props, gave me compliments on my playing and blah, blah, blah. And um, I was like, yeah, but it's, it's your base. I'm not going to take your base. Thank you for offering the gift. And the only way that he would stop forcing it on me was I was like, okay, it's my base, but you keep it here, okay? <laughs> keep it in the studio. And, you know, like I, I wasn't going to take the base, but, but we had a great, great, great experience tracking bass and it was fun and, and it went down easy and uh, he had had a, uh, a bad situation in a couple of bands that have recorded with him prior to us their bass players had taken like over a month for their bass tracks and I think when I just sort of like walked up stepped up and nailed it he was like oh my god this is awesome you know well, that would have saved money, studio time. Yeah, and time, and, you know, onto the guitars and the vocals, which is the things that, you know, really sell records, you know? Were you surprised, Anthony, and, and take the hangover out of it, were you surprised <laughs> that you were able to do it that quickly, or were you confident you could get it done that quickly? Um, no, Nick and I, we, we nailed it. Like, on tour, Nick and I were pretty solid. Like, I knew going in that we would... I wasn't green. I was green when we did Wicked. I was young. It was like my first barbecue, you know. Yeah. And and uh, I now I know knew what the situation was and the expectations were, and um, what to focus on and and how to listen and um, and also being on the road, playing with Nick for a year. You know, we became really tight. You know, we became a good rhythm section a really solid rhythm section you know like when solo sections would come up and george would go off it's only nick and i holding the whole song down you know with george on top and wailing you know so we got really tight and we got really good and, and uh it was it was it was a pleasure doing it and i mean i i we had good, sound city was next door 
from Goodnight LA, and um, my friend uh, Joe Barisi was engineering at Sound City at the time, and his best friend Trace was the assistant engineer at Goodnight LA working on our record. So I, I, I really became close with Joe and Trace and Shay, and we would hang out all the time and, and after sessions and stuff and go bowling and all. We had tons of fun, you know. This might be a bit of a mundane question, Anthony, but certain musicians like to record at night and others like to record earlier in the day. Can you remember when, what time you recorded your tracks at? You like to start? I mean, most of the time, like after, after drums and bass are done, when it's guitars and vocals, it's usually vocals during the day, guitars at night. For some reason, it sort of always works out that way. I don't know how George and Robert did it, but, um, for this record, but usually that's the case where, you know, like, like, singers are you know up until it gets dark and and, and then the, the guitar player works through the night but uh with with drums and bass it's kind of get it done yeah. <laughs> just play and, and nail it and, and just move on like i don't care night or day it doesn't matter to me and um i loved playing with mick mick is so underrated he never gets brought up in the conversation as like great rock drummers or whatever. He's so good. He's so solid. His groove is so good. His choices on fills are, I mean, he's a consummate pro and you never hear about anyone giving him props and it kind of sucks because he's really, really underrated and great, I think. And he can sing. Oh my God. And he comes up with great choruses. Mm -hmm. Like, can you come He's a Beatle freak. I mean, he could play every Beatles song on guitar and sing them. And, like, he's he's very talented as a musician. And, and as a drummer, he's world-class. And you never really hear his name brought up, you know? Nobody really talks about him. And, and it's a shame because he is the consummate pro, you know? Anthony, do you remember any of the songs on the second record and they were, you did them in one take, your parts? I think I did a lot of them in one take. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, there aren't really like, it's not like on Patina where I was playing like with Jake, I have more room and I could play a little bit more melody on bass. And, and, and uh, I would always ask myself in the back of my head, what would Bob Daisley do okay. <laughs> when I was playing with Jake? Because I love the, 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 the chemistry between the two of them. So I would try to like, okay, he's going off for a solo. What would, you know, what, what should I go for? Whereas with George, it's kind of like more of a meat and potatoes base, nailing it, being all, being inside the drums, driving the groove, not really getting up in the melody at all. And, um, and you know, so it was like, they weren't difficult bass lines, but they were the right bass lines for the song, you know? Yeah. Um, whose idea was it to do Tire Mother Down, Queen track? Um, well, we kind of like, it was kind of weird because we were supposed to do, we were doing that Rubiot record where it was like Electra's 30-something anniversary and all the people on the roster went back and did the old roster's material for the anniversary of the label. Like Metallica did Stone Cold Crazy. Originally, we were going to do Tire Mother Down for that, and Metallica was on tour, and then last minute they're like, we're going to do Queen, Stone Cold Crazy. And you could only pick one band. Like, P Pussycats did uh, You're So Vain by Carly Simon. And, you know, so everybody went back and did, like, The, uh, the Cure did The Doors. Um, so we kind of got the carpet pulled out from under us last minute, 
because we thought we were going to get the Queen track. And um, and when Metallica obviously has, you know, better say they're way bigger than Lynch Mob is. So when they said, we're going to do Queen, we kind of got bumped back and we ended up doing Going Down, which is like a blues kind of based song. Um, so we had Tie Your Mother Down from before when we were doing the Going Down sessions. And um, so we kind of just put it on there. And then Freddie got sick and it looked like we were capitalizing on his death, which was not the case at all. Mm. Because when I have the Japanese version of this record and it's got two extra studio bonus tracks on it. And I, I'm sure the way you guys thought at the time was that the cover might be the, one of the Japanese bonus tracks and you wanted 10 original tracks on, on the international release. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's usually how we did things. I mean, we don't... There's there's no cover on Wicked. Like, I think we just had it worked out and it was a great song and, you know, and it's Queen. It's yeah. not like, you know... Yeah. So, I, one, I'm going to bring up one of the quotes that Keith gave me and I interviewed him probably six or seven years ago. Yeah, I think it's or maybe a little bit longer, right? So I wrote down exactly what he said, Anthony, and you can respond to this however way you want. Um, so he was talking about the writing credits for that record. Mm-hmm. And he said, the hardest part was when it came to writing credits. George maybe wrote 25% of any of the songs, and he had to have 50 to 75% of the songs. <laughs> the, the writing credits are highly skewed in the wrong direction. Writing, uh-huh. writing credits and publishing rights are the only thing that's really worth anything down the line. So I got to tell you, that was a really rough day in the studio when we all went into my back office in Goodnight LA and decided what percentage of the songs anyone was going to get. It was really sick. I think they gave me like 5% on two songs, Tangled in the Web and one other, and Tangled in the Web, that's virtually my lyrics. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's virtually his lyrics. I know that, that Robert and I had a lot to do with the, 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 the lyrics on that, but he is definitely, definitely correct in that statement. I remember that day well. I remember that day so well when George came to the band and said, listen, uh, I want 50% of the publishing. Now, originally the band was set up as an equal split. Everybody got an equal split, and that's when I joined. That was the the blueprint for it to be a band. And George said, basically, um, on this record, I want 50%. I'm not splitting it equally. And um, when we got fired, the splits went to three ways on everything and Robert was a hired gun he wanted Robert to basically prove himself and then he would cut him in after on the next record so um, I remember the day and I told George flat out I said listen I go you didn't write 50% of the record that's ridiculous I said but a lot of our success and following um and, and stat, stature of the band is because you and Nick for years were in docking. So we didn't start from zero when Lynch Mob was born. We started with a head start because of the docking success. 
And I basically said, and I remember saying this, I, I will give you the 50% nod only because you are basically promoting lynch mob when you were in Dokken and I was in geometry in high school. Okay. And I remember it, you know, and, um, you know, like the, the writing, I mean, it was, it was, uh, that was a shock to all of us and you probably Keith should have got more and, uh, but everybody sort of always thinks they want more. That's why I liked it better when it was equal split. And then we never had that conversation. You know, it was like, it was like, it doesn't matter. Everybody's getting the same. So the best part wins. You're not lobbying for publishing money by, you know, selling your part more than a better part that maybe another band member has, you know, because you want the money. But I, I think that, um, I remember that day clearly and it was a, a, an awful day in the studio. Yeah. I remember it what very the, well. Do you remember what Mick said? No, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't remember what Mick said. And, um, and Mick had a lot to do with the writing too. You know, like he wasn't anywhere near just the drummer. Like he definitely came up with lyrics and he definitely came up with melodies and he definitely, you know, chipped in and it, and, uh, it was definitely a band effort, the writing. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of things in Lynch Mob started out one way and ended up being something else. And it just sort of deteriorated over time, you know? Um, did this meeting take place after you'd done the record, during the record, before you'd recorded it? It was while we were recording it. So you, you'd probably already done your parts at that stage? Uh, no, because Mick was there. Mick, and once Mick was done, he went back to Arizona. So it would have to be when we were either setting up to record or and we uh, were tracking drums. Okay, okay. So the record gets done. It wasn't during the writing. It okay. wasn't during the writing. Yeah, yeah. So, so the record gets done, Anthony. And um, how many? You only did one video for it, didn't you? Tangled in the web. Yeah. Um, did you hate doing videos? I love doing videos because the way that we did videos were pretty creative. Like the Matt Mahern video is like wicked. Is it doesn't look like anything else. And then the Kevin Kerslake video for Tangled, it, it was very, you know, like, I liked when we went, were dark and mysterious and, and not so, here's a rock band with Marshall Stacks and running around, you know. Mm. River of Love's probably my least favorite, you know. Okay. Do you remember who you toured with on that record? I think King of the Hill Warrant. was one of the bands, wasn't it? Warrant. Hmm? It was Warrant. Oh, Warrant on the second we record. We opened up. Yeah, they were on the Doggy Dog tour. Okay. They were on the Doggy Dog record. We opened for them, and then we ended up headlining, and it was Life, Sex, and Death. LSD opened for us. King of the Hill was out with Wicked. Oh, okay. Okay. So, did Johnny tour the U.S. with Warrant? Yeah. Okay, and that was a full U.S. tour? It was a full national tour, yeah. Okay. We're, we're, what size venues were you doing? Because I love the Doggy Dog record, but it didn't really sell for them. It, we were in arenas, but the arenas weren't sold out. Okay. And what were you given, 40 minutes? Uh, that sounds about right. Okay. Did maybe, you get maybe an hour. Maybe an hour. Okay. Did you get on with the Warren guys? 
Yeah, they're still my friends to this day. Yeah, okay. Well, you've, Robert's in the band. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically his audition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, leaving the band, tell me about your decision to leave the band. Was it inevitable? Well, I mean, you know, it, it was kind of like he didn't want Robert anymore. And he was talking about trying to have Glenn Hughes sing or have tried to steal Ray Gillen from Jake and Badlands. And, and I was like, listen, I, you know, every time we do an interview, the first words out of the interviewer's mouth is, when are you going back to docking? And I'm like, if we change singers again, it's not going to look like a band. It's going to look like your side project that's a, 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 a placeholder until you go back to docking. I said, uh, th there's two choices to be made here. Either stay with Robert and fix what you don't like, or get Oni back and fix what you don't like. If not, I'm, I'm out. And he wasn't interested in going either way. What, what did he not like? Uh, that's a question that you need to ask him. Okay. Okay. But I, I, I love both of them. Both of them in their own way are amazing. Both of them are very talented, very gifted, uh, but they're they're polar opposites. They're very different people, um, and I'm still I'm still close with both of them. But it's it's like I don't know what he wanted, you know. But like in his whole career, he's always bitched about the singer. So you know, yeah. So, did you discuss it with anyone else in the in the band, like either Mick or Robert, before you made the decision? No, hell no. Okay. Did you leave? Um, did you leave before Mick? Yeah. Okay. Anyone and then, like after I after I left, um, like Electra dropped us uh, because of the Seattle thing, and. Uh, and we had a bunch of we had a bunch of records left on our deal, and he blames me for my quitting for them getting dropped. And I'm like, look, a my name is not in the name of the band. It's not called the Esposito Mob. Mm. And B, I was never in Dokken, which had the relationship with Electra before Lynch Mob was on Electra, and I, and I, and I'm. I'm the bass player. It's not like I'm the guitar hero or the lead singer. It's not like they didn't drop you because I quit. And that would be the last thing they would care about. Hmm. So looking back on it now, Anthony, when did you think, when did you have a great relationship with George? And, and is there one thing that happened either on Wicked or, or this record that really soured it for you? Um, I always... <laughs> Well, when it was happening back in the day, he and I were bro we were bros. Like we'd yeah. hang out on days off. We'd go out. We'd you know go to museums, clothes shopping, bars, whatever. We'd always go to parties after the gigs together, and uh, we we always hung out. And and you know, um, it just in hindsight, then I found out he was doing things behind my back that was screwing me. And, and and so it was like this double-edged sword, but I didn't find out about the other stuff until later on. And then and then it was like, the thing that really bothered me, honestly, we were just finished recording the second record. And he jumped in to do Sacred Groove, his solo album. And it seemed like his focus became more on his solo album than on 
the self-titled Lynch Mob record. And we couldn't tour. The single came out, Tangled in the Web came out, and I think it was like top 20. I, I seem to remember it was like 15 or something. And we couldn't tour because he was working on his solo album. Like, which I thought was like, not where his priorities should be, you know? I think that's where your Ray Gill and Glenn Hughes thing came in, because they played oh, yeah, the Sacred yeah. Groove. Totally, and the Nelsons were on it and all that. And and Sacred Groove was a working title that I came up with for Tangled in the Web, because my bass part is like this really cool like groove. And I was like, you know, that was the working title, and then he ended up calling his solo album and his label. And... um and it was just like I, I just thought, like, hey man, we got we got a hit on our hands, you know, we're, we're top twenty and and we're sitting and we can't tour because you're working on your solo album, like that's asinine to me. Okay, okay. So the second album, I'm not going to ask you to pick which which of the two records or the first two are your favorites because that's that's, <laughs> un, that's unfair. I'll t I will tell you that I prefer the second one to the Wicked, and I'm in the okay. I know I'm in the minority on that. Um, I do want to ask you though, in the second album, what are your favorite songs on it? I kind of land. Well, I I love I love Tangled in the Web. I mean, when I when I put that song on, it just sounds so good, and Robert's vocal is so good on that, and it, it just I love that song. Um, I lean towards on the rest of the record. Um, I I lean towards the heavier stuff like the secret and cold is the heart and um i love the ballad dream until tomorrow comes yeah is like the end solo over the strings and the keyboard part is like really i i think a, a, a moment a, a really great lynch moment um but i tend to leave lean on that stuff i don't really like no good i don't really like jungle of love um I, I like, you know, darkness. I like when darkness calls. I like cold is the heart. I like the secret. I like the heavier stuff, you know? What do you, Entangled in the ballad. Yeah, what do you make of the, the Japanese bonus tracks? Because sometimes they're left off the record because they're just not as good as the ones that were picked. <laughs> what, what, what were they? Love, love, <laughs> love finds a way and love love in your eyes. Yeah, they're, they're right. They're okay. I'd agree they're with you, right. they are okay. They're, they're, not they're, as, they're not as good as the rest of them. No, they're, they're definitely not good enough to be proper album tracks. They're they're probably, and I'll show my age, better B-sides if yeah. you actually did B-sides back then. Yeah. The B-sides were long gone. <laughs> but, <laughs> but they would have been B-sides. They, they, there's reasons why they're bonus tracks and not on the proper record. Yeah. Anthony, when, when you were out doing live shows... Um, how many songs from that the second record were you were you adding to the set? It was about fifty fifty, I think. Okay, and, and were you doing any docking songs at all? We always did docking songs. I mean, we always okay. did Miss Scary, and then you know we'd throw in like one or two. Uh, I used to like doing uh, Kiss of Death. I always, I thought that was a mean one, and um, you know we tried It's Not Love for a while, and you know we, we would we would always put docking in there and breaking the change tooth and nail. Tooth and nail was in it often. Um, you know, you got to throw your hat to those. I mean, that, that the docking was a big part of why we were in arenas, you know? Okay. So, Anthony, it's been a pleasure again talking to you. 
Cool, and, and thank you again for asking my opinion. Um, you should definitely call Robert. I'll um, try. I'll because try. Robert, Robert knows what was going down after I was out of there. Um, after I was done with my bass, he was there for the whole time with uh, with the guitars and the, and the vocals going down simultaneously, and the whole Glenn thing. Like I, what I was told was Glenn would sing the tracks first and then Robert would sing the tracks and then Glenn Keith and Robert would sit back and listen to the tracks and grade each line and whatever line approach was better like let's say Robert sang the verse and the first line was an 8 and Glenn was a 7 then Robert would immediately go back and sing the comp the best ways that it would be Yeah, and I think there was a there existed that record with Glenn singing lead on it, but I think that Keith erased it because he, out of respect for Robert, he never wanted it to come out. Okay. Wow. So you got to ask Robert. You got to ask Robert. That was, that was told to me and I wasn't there to firsthand knowledge it, but you, 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 and Robert's a sweetheart. I gave you his cell. Definitely talk to him. Tell him you spoke to me and you spoke to Keith. I'm sure he will do it. And yeah. uh, but he's got insight when I wasn't there. So all right, Anthony. Well, always a pleasure. Always, and you gotta you gotta interview War Brothers when the EP comes out. I, I really want you. To, I want you to review the the EP. Is like I'm working on the full length now, but the EP is kind of like I produced them. They came out the first time we worked together was the first three songs and they ended up on the EP and then um, they learned and grew so much since those three songs that we decided to not include them on the full length and we're working on the full length now and they're starting the tour on, and we're going to release the EP in probably a month or so and uh, Max Norman mixed one song and um, and uh, I mixed the other two and uh, very old Van Halen, old school Motley. It's it's killer stuff. Like it's really, it, it really great. Okay, how do I get in touch with them? Are you going to send me the? I, man- I manage them. Oh, oh, okay, right. I'll get in touch with you then, and you can set up the interview. <laughs> I manage them, so I could definitely hook it up for you. Yeah. All, all right, Anthony. Well, I'll I'll speak to you soon then. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Richard. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Bye. All right, big round of thanks to Anthony Epizzito for taking a shitload of time to talk to Richie once again about a yet another Lynch Mob release. Definitely a really solid one. If you don't have this one, go seek it out. Buy it for yourself. It's good stuff. And next time, we'll be digging in even further as we talk with Robert Mason. Notice I said next time and not next week because... Who knows? I could just be like, get really lazy after this week, and it could be like another two weeks before I put the next episode out. And it's not so much being lazy, to be honest. It's just that, like I said, there's a shitload going on, and I just haven't been able to sit down and get these nice blocks of time where I can really think about what I'm doing as I'm putting these episodes together. But nonetheless, next episode, we will be sitting down with... Robert Mason. In the meantime, just want to say that uh, my friends in the band, A Sound of Thunder, probably the world's most prolific band ever, but uh, they have kicked off yet another campaign on Kickstarter for another great project as they are going to uh, 
put out Queen of Hell. So lots of really cool guest vocalists on this one and just another album of good, solid stuff. And if you missed the one that just came out, check that out as well. It's called The Crimson Cult. So check that one. Go up there, Google it. It's out there to buy. Just be aware that when you spell it, it's Crimson with a K, Cult with a K. Another great album, but you know, definitely if you're liking independent music and independent bands that are really good, solid music, killer vocals with Nina in there as well, then definitely go up to kickstarter.com, search out A Sound of Thunder, and try to be able to fund the brand new one, The Queen of Hell. And there is actually a YouTube video out for the initial teaser single of that one. So back on, uh, I think November 1st, they loaded that one up and it's called Queen of Hell Initium. So I know that I'm definitely looking forward to another great release from uh, from Nina and Josh and the rest of the guys in A Sound of Thunder. And we're pushing towards a uh, December 2022 release. We'll see. I know that uh, The Crimson Cult was a slog for them. A lot of stuff happened in uh, Sound of Thunder World. And it's amazing that with all the setbacks they had with that one, they still 100% delivered on it. Just delivered on it a little bit late. So again, kickstarter.com. Search for A Sound of Thunder. And there should be a project up there for Queen of Hell. And I will try to remember to put that link in the show notes as well up at uh, focusometalpod.com but you know there could be a couple of days gap between when I'm actually recording and mixing this and I do the show notes and like I said there's a lot of shit going on and there's a good chance that I'm just going to space it when I write the show notes so uh, that is it for this week that's it there ain't no more stick a fork in it this puppy is done so for Richie myself and everybody else here at Focus on Metal have yourselves a great metal week and until we talk to you again as always remember Focus on Metal everything else is insignificant Still here? It's over. Go home.